0: I'll tell you what, spring has sprung, and so have my allergies. Maybe you're wondering to yourself, this voice I hate. <laughs> That's not really you wondering, more of like just a very definitive statement. Um, I hate this voice too, um, but this is, this is the best it's gonna get. I've been trying to record this same podcast. For the past two days And for the past two days My voice has just sounded uh, Like this uh, I'm not sick uh, I just have A deep case Of the Austin Allergy Blues And we're not even done with February I mean we're on the last gasp Of, of February But um Yeah yesterday Yesterday I went on a run brag, yeah, I do that sometimes, ah, yeah, okay, what are you doing, (laughs) also maybe going on a run, because you live in Austin, fine, (laughs) and you probably go further than me, yeah, um, so I went on my very short run, and I barely got through it, um, because my allergies took over. I don't know what tree it is, but there's a flowering tree that I'm seeing all over in Austin. And I think I've been told it's like a native Texas plant. So people are trying to plant them. Listen, I think this is good, right? I understand. Is it horticulture? Or is it It's horticulture, right? I'm not going to look it up. We're going to go with horticulture. I feel like I love the rise of making sure we're planting native Texas plants. But this particular tree, it's got purple flowers. If someone can help me identify it. Um, The fragrance that comes off of it is that of a middle school boys cologne. Uh, It's not natural to the earth, I am convinced. Um, And every time I get a whiff of it, and by the way, it's a strong flower, okay? A strong uh, odor that smells like, um, yeah, a 13-year-old boy after gelling his hair in the early 2000s. Just decided to go crazy on the cologne. And every time I smell it, I immediately start coughing and I cannot breathe. Um, it's just so strong. This feels like biological warfare. Um, so yeah, let's let's go on this whole native Texas plant kick. Love it for us but the ones um that smell like they're on the cusp of puberty maybe we could just we could just sort of and they're masking it with that cologne i forgot what the cologne du jour was back then but i swear every one of y'all had it and we as 13 year old girls uh would pretend that this was something pleasant. It wasn't. Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. I'm your host, Deepa Shreeder. Um, we we're gonna do a supper club report. We're doing a supper club report podcast. Um, because because we've we've done a couple supper clubs now, but I want to talk about this past one that I did, which is uh. It was like kind of a secret project um, starting in March. We'll we'll get back to the Industry Supper Club. But I wanted to talk about, I, I can't quite talk all about the project yet, but I can talk about the menu. And I can talk about uh, some stuff I, I wanted to sort of um, rant about, as you say, as I say. So let's get it going. All right. So, last Wednesday, um, I did a supper club at my townhouse, as I am wont to do. And this particular supper club had, had definitely, um, essentially, a lot less people because we were shooting it for a project. Um, but... What was exciting is the theme of this particular supper club was meat. Have you heard of it? Probably not. Um, and we did basically a South Indian version of a prime rib steak dinner. Um, and I, I was pretty, pretty fucking happy with the menu. So let's talk about what was on the menu. Um, I was very, very lucky to get incredible, incredible product from Longhorn Meat Market here in Austin, Texas. Hey, by the way, did y'all know Longhorn Meat Market? I mean, I've seen it on the east side since I started living in Austin. Um, Longhorn Meat Market is the oldest butcher shop in Austin. started in 1892. And uh, they're going through essentially a a huge revamp. Um, you know, just like a lot of food businesses, um, they had to sort of regroup during and after the pandemic. Can we say after pandemic yet? I know I'm going to have like a lot of people like screaming at me that it's not over and I hear you, but like we need to, we need to come up with a new term then. If you don't want to say like, Hey, this is, this we're living in a pre pandemic uh let's let's come up with a new term because when we say the pandemic, I think of specifically april twenty twenty uh and that era that stage you know and the summer and and that sort of vibe that's that's like hardcore pandemic era you know um so, so, where are we here? That's neither here nor there. We're not gonna get any answers to my <laughs> questions that I'm screaming into my phone, but anyways uh they they had to regroup and revamp, and um they are basically gangbusters um here in Austin, which is amazing. but anyways, we got some incredible product uh from them, uh specifically some beautiful prime rib roasts and a a couple tomahawk steaks you know just casual um tomahawk steak in case people people are wondering what exactly that cut is is uh it looks like it's a steak that you would see on a Flintstones um cartoon essentially uh it's it's a beautiful cut, and then the bone is kept intact, um which gives it like a beautiful presentation uh so we got a couple of those, so all in all, cooked about twenty pounds twenty pounds of meat um so yeah this was this was definitely a heavily steak slash prime rib. Um, menu. So the prime rib was marinating in, uh, tamarind, ghee, lots of roasted lime, uh, porti chili oil, and, um, some, some basically a s- very special russam bordi that I made, uh, with of course seasoned with some salt as well. Um, And the uh, tomahawk steaks, uh, I decided that I was going to treat it like I would if I was going to make like a Chetanade chicken. Uh, So made it a spiced yogurt and coconut marinade. And then um, seared it hard in a cast iron that was screaming. Um, And then baked it off. Finished it in the oven, essentially. I I feel like saying baked steak sounds insane uh, and bad. Finished it in the oven uh, on a bed of tomato puree, which then helped sort of uh, create this really amazing sauce for the steak. Uh, Along with that, we made a coconut grummelata that was um, with herbs, toasted coconut, lots of roasted citrus, uh, we made a tomato and fermented beet toku. So the fermented beet actually started as a fermented beet, um, avoca And then turned that avoca um, uh, into, uh, you know, obviously blended it with tomato and some spices, um, and then made it into a toku uh cabbage poriel poriel essentially it's like a side it's a kai it's a uh veg yeah it's like a veg side it's think of it think of it as like sort of like a souped up uh replacement for slaw i think that's the best way i can describe it which i know sounds insane if you are somebody familiar with poriel but think about it that is slaw I you gotta get there for a second. We're not adding mayo, we're not adding vinegar, but you are making something. And listen, I sear all my slaws, but that's that's a conversation for a different day. Um but you are making something where essentially you're able to um char and and season some sort of green, you know. Or cabbage or or something that that can be sort of eaten almost at room temperature on the side. Sly y'all. So I made that um some odyssey sourdough. There were some rush some shots right in the beginning, and then um, finished it all with a uh, banana leaf um cake that was baked obviously in cast iron. Um, and then finished with um, a jaggery caramel sauce. And that was the menu, y'all. And it was pretty damn good. But I want to talk a little bit about um, red meat. I want to talk about red meat. I want to talk about it in the way that people understand how a red meat dinner is supposed to go. I feel like when you think about a prime rib roast, you think about a steak, you're thinking about mashed potatoes, right? You're thinking about maybe blue cheese dressing, right? Maybe maybe a compound butter. Um, I don't know. Maybe you're even thinking A1 sauce. Uh, I feel like I am more... I am more empathetic to the to the steak and the a ones out there because it is i I feel like a lot of um chefs a lot of people sort of dog on the on the a one of it all, but I think it makes complete sense right a one essentially is giving you um tang it is giving you a little bit of acidity it is giving you um a little bit of a punch that you need in order to pair with something that is irony and fatty, i.e. a steak. This is why, listen. Listen, we know that on this particular Substack um I could call this Substack the Gospel of Tam- Tamarind, and that would be like an apt name for. The- Should I replace it with Gospel Note to Self? Gospel of Tamarind. Got to keep that. Hey, I'm TMing that phrase. Okay. I know. I know that being South Indian is very in right now. So, all y'all, I swear to God, if I see anybody out there on their little curry night that they like to do on Sundays at their restaurant or. <laughs> me to shut my mouth before I get into some real trouble here (laughs) and I get too specific stay away from the gospel of tamarind okay okay that's tm'd that's how it works I'm pretty sure Um, but yeah this this is why tamarind um, is such a perfect perfect ingredient in a lot of ways right tamarind pairs super well with pinot noir it's true uh tamarind adds sweet and sour and you can actually bring out those specific notes based on the way you cook with tamarind um tamarind is an incredible marinade for mushrooms um and just goes well with with a lot of meaty meaty things there's a reason why tamarind chicken wings work so well you've got that charry fatty bits from the chicken that's now then, you know, essentially coated in tamarind. I mean, come on, that is, that's a recipe for success. Tamarind, also, if you want to make, you know, a fancy rib roast, you want to really show off um, a a different take on a steak, tamarind is going to be an incredible a one substitute while also enhancing um, that flavor palette. Tamarind, man, what can tamarind not do at this point? Um, so that's why it played pre- pretty heavily in one of the um, one of the big meat cuts, uh, and that full recipe is going to be down below in in the notes for paid subscribers. Listen. Listen, it, it pays to pay. I, I did not come up with that, but I feel like I'm feeling really feisty here at seven in the morning. I wanted to TM that, but I knew. I knew that wasn't just me. <laughs> Let's get back to what I wanted to talk about. Um, What did I want to talk about? Oh, I want to talk about meat. So anyways, when we think about um, big cuts... Red meat, I think we think about, and 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 fair enough. I'm not I'm not knocking that. You know, baked potato, blue cheese, lifestyle. Uh but there is this misnomer, it, this misnomer that especially in the continent of India, that well, we don't know our way around a big cut. Um. This is simply not true. You know what I think a good a good way to assess uh, what a food culture is or can be and the multitudes that it contains, i.e. India. Remember, India was in India until 1947. Until then, we were we were mostly just um, you know, there was like one section we would call Bharat, but India as a whole um is a very regional regional country. Uh, We've gotten to know each other better because of the internet, but this is a regional, regional uh, country that's got lots and lots of different kinds of people. And most of those people eat meat. Think about it like this, right? When you're thinking about a food culture on the whole, if you are unfamiliar with that food culture, but you just think about the biology of the earth, right? You think about how humans came to be, right? The evolution of humans. Evolution, guys. I'm I'm firmly on the path that it is real. <laughs> but you think about the evolution of humans, you think about the fact that we are really one species. By we are really, I mean, we are one species. That's that's, a, that's the sentence. That's the statement. It means that even if you are unfamiliar with that cuisine, other than knowing that chicken tikka masala and dosas exist from that land, you've got to maybe deduce that there's more to it, right? And perhaps... Perhaps it is not just uh, one or two other parts of the world that understand how to take down take down some livestock. It's just a good rule of thumb. Um I say that. I say that maybe you're thinking to yourself this is an unnecessary chip, but it's not. I say that because um you know, I'm a chef. Yes but i also uh i've i've trained in uh know how to break down an animal you know i especially in the beginning of my supper clubs the person breaking down those whole animals that was me y'all um i come from butcher shop pedigree that's just my personal resume that i'm bringing to the table but i'm also bringing to the table um a pretty a pretty specific cultural background. Now, did I grow up vegetarian? Yeah, I did. Um, Ate meat outside of the house because that was the, the the type of Indian immigrant I was. But also, also, let's think about this, right? The majority of Indian immigrants coming through in the 80s and 90s uh typically were vegetarian. Um and that has a lot to do with um the terrible deep dark world of uh castes and class. So uh because those immigrants uh were coming to the United States, then there there sort of became that idea that uh the majority of us are vegetarian. Um and it's just it's just simply not true. Uh, but I do come from a place where they they know their way around a cut. I, I I'm really into right now calling, calling everything a cut. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll get over it at eight AM. It's right now seven twenty four, in Austin, Texas. Um. So, so it's, it's, it's just good to remember that food culture, food culture from other places probably are going to go through a lot of that same um, nutritional repertoire <laughs> as, as somebody else does due to us all being human. I hope all of that makes sense. Who knows? Um... Uh, one time i don't know if i've told this story on the podcast this this was maybe one of the wildest emails i got this was pre pandemic um this is when uh the supper clubs i were do i was doing it was about you know 80 to 90 people at a time we would focus on generally uh one one you know big Big idea and theme around an ingredient, i.e., sometimes an animal, and then throw it in a wood fired oven. One time we did a hundred pounds of lamb in one wood fired oven. That's a feat. That's also a digression. So I got this email from this uh, new like uh, seafood distributor. Okay, the email was out of their mind. It was an insane email. Okay. I'm actually going to see if I can pull it up, uh, because it was just, it was so audacious. Um, oh wait, I think I, I did. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Um, (laughs) <laughs> is this, is this, okay, okay, <laughs> good morning, this is, this was actually, no, this is not pre-pandemic, this is during the pandemic, this is um August 2020, okay, good morning, my name is Redacted, I work for Redacted Redacted Products, and speak with, and I would want to speak with someone about using us as your seafood supplier. I am assuming that seafood is not a very common protein choice in Indian cuisine. Let me repeat what he, what he said. I am assuming, and let me tell you, uh, Redacted, who works for Redacted, Redacted, assumptions, my friend, assumptions, right? There's a whole famous saying about that. That seafood is not a common protein choice in Indian cuisine. The reason why that is insane is because if you take a look at the country of India, uh, it's also known as a subcontinent. You know why it's known as a subcontinent? Um, got a lot of coast, okay? Got a lot of coast on that country. You are telling me that one of, or actually the most populated country in the world that's got lots of coasts, also uh, an Indian Ocean, I think that's that's uh, something here on planet Earth, right? The Indian Ocean. You're telling me uh, that that particular uh, country that has a certain cuisine maybe not familiar with seafood. I just want people to sort of just put on a thinking cap, you know what I mean? Read a book. It's it's all of it is helpful. Um redacted goes on to say however, not common doesn't mean forever, whatever that means. Um talks about essentially delivery dates and stuff. We also offer a wide range of seafood products that are frozen as well if you're far more comfortable. You know, the insults in this email are just incredible. I can also uh, meet with you guys and speak about this when you feel free. I would love to be an educator if that is something you're interested in. Um, Redacted wants to educate me on how to cook something because it's apparently apparently um doesn't really matter if i'm a professional chef or not it's more of like i've i've never seen a shrimp i've never seen a fish i wouldn't know what to do you know um cuz i'm i'm just eating like little bits of lettuce and spicy coconut uh infused vegetables in curries all day. I just, I, I wouldn't know what to do with it, you know? So anyways, um, that is a real email. And, um, I, I, I will also say that, um, I I don't think this person was trying to be insulting in any way. It's just, this is, this is certainly a, a very popular misnomer. Uh, that is not the first time. I have I have really gotten that sort of resp- not even response cuz I, I wasn't the one reaching out but like that sort of email where it's uh it's combining education uh, the the idea the offering of education about a type of ingredient uh, based on the assumption that I'm Indian and I would have no idea what to do with it. This is also one of those things where like, um, you know, when people are like, you know, all a good steak needs is salt and pepper. You know, some steaks actually, yeah, they will taste good with salt and pepper. But um, there is something very strange about this idea that if you spice meat further, or uh, if, you, if you coat it and marinate it, um, even like a, a prime cut, um, a prime, beautiful, you know, well-prepared piece of meat, there's this idea that if you spice it, then you obviously don't know how to appreciate uh, the meat's flavor profile which is very strange because um, I come from an amalgamation of cultures that have understood how to tenderize meat and how to enhance the meat's flavors with certain spices. I can't wait for, for the day where both of those ways of cooking meat can be, can be valued in the same sort of league. Sure. Sure salt and pepper is great. You know what? You know what you can also do with the steak? You can dip that whole tomahawk steak in tons and tons of toasted coconut, yogurt, cardamom, chilies, jaggery, ghee, turmeric, and let it let it marinate for Let's say six hours, six to eight hours. Throw that bad boy on a hot, hot cast iron. I promise you, that meat is gonna sing. Um so yeah, that's that's really uh what what we did this time. We cooked the prime ribs for literally, I think, about less than an hour, and then sliced it up after it rested, and then took all of that tamarind jus, started reducing it in another cast iron, and made it into a quick bath for the very rare slices of prime rib. So that way it it continues to cook there. Um, And then that tamarind jus also thickens um, and reduces and makes makes your own A1 sauce for your prime rib. Hot tip from me to you. Okay, full menu is going to be posted down below and also the recipe for that prime rib roast. Uh, we're we're, we're going to talk more about essentially meat in general, meat in general and, and cuisines, immigrant cuisines that don't, follow the salt and black pepper, uh, minimalism idea. We'll talk about all of that further. Um, I cannot wait to talk more about this project that I'm working on. Um, doing that with some incredible women. So more on that. Uh, there's also going to be a couple newsletters down the pipeline, working, working on getting, um, the film review podcast up for the menu. <laughs> Listen, we're not going to talk about things when it, you should be talking about it, when it's in the zeitgeist, okay? I want to talk to you about the menu when you have long forgotten it, okay? That's the specialty of this substack, Sick palate, i.e. the gospel of Taperone. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get out of here. Uh we will talk soon. I thank you as always for um supporting this podcast, newsletter, really really whatever it is. Um and wine review podcasts are coming back. So we'll we'll get there. We've got a lot of um new new vintages releasing in the spring, so we'll talk. We'll talk wine. I know y'all missed it. I've missed it. I'm going to go now. Goodbye.